Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of our Mondo Minute Leadership Series podcast. I'm Shannon Vise, the Senior Content Strategist on the marketing team here at Mondo, and I'm hyped to be hosting this special episode entitled Brown Woman in a White Man's World with none other than Aspa Malik, the VP of Learning and Development and DE&I efforts within Addison and its partner brands. Thank you so much for taking the time to connect with us today. Well, you're absolutely welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, let's let's get started. I know we have a lot to cover. So I would love if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and how you became so passionate about diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Well, you know, I started my career many, many years ago, and I call myself a learning leader regardless of whatever my job was. So I'm a learning leader that spent half of her career in sales and then decided that I was going to take my sales experience and take it to the next level by selling people on investing in themselves and or themselves and spending time helping others. And so that's always that's always been my passion and where my intention comes from is to help people understand that if you take the time to develop yourself, it's only going to help you in the long run. Just like when we're in sales, if you take the time to listen to me and buy this product, it's going to help you. Well, my product happens to be you and skills and learning as much as you possibly can so that you can take it to the next level. And I think that I kind of blend that in to my passion around DEI. And we're using, we swapped out the E. So we're not using diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're actually calling it diversity, equality, and inclusion. And the reason, you know, when you think about DNI, DNI has to, a lot to do about feeling. It's about how do I feel in that meeting? How do I feel joining this company? Do people look like me? Do people sound like me? And so equity brings in a money component. At least that's how it feels when we hear the word equity. So equality is more around, I just want everyone to feel like they all belong here. And it's not about how much money you make. And it's not about um, how, how much stake you have in the meeting, it's about the value that you provide. Even if you only speak one time or ask one question in a meeting, I want you to feel that you are just as um, just as uh, able to do that as anyone else in the meeting. So that's kind of where our stand is. And you know, if you look at a picture of me, you'll see that I am uh, I'm a little bit different. I'm of Middle Eastern descent. I'm brown, and I am a woman. And I'm a little bit older than the most, most of the people that I worked with or work with. So that means that I need to feel like I need to belong. And I, I have a voice and I have value. And I want everyone around me to feel like they have a voice and that they have value. So even if you are in a marginalized group, whether it's being um, a woman or being from a minority, I want you to feel like you have the ability and the opportunity to advance your career as well as participate in any meeting uh, and have a seat at the table. I love that. And I mean, I think I personally, as a writer and content strategist, know the importance of using the correct, you know, verbiage. And I think there's a lot of importance in that. So I really appreciate that. That's a, a learning moment for me as well. Um, and I think that's such such an important change but it, because I think 
the associations we have with certain words are so important. Um, so yeah, I really appreciate that. And, and again, I'm just so excited for this conversation and, and everything that you're leading already. Um, so I know during a recent a meeting that we shared, you spoke about being overlooked for being a brown female professional. What really stood out to me within that story was when you said, I've learned to grow taller, speak louder, and stand out my entire life. Uh, so I was wondering, what was the process like reaching that realization? And if there was a defining moment that really made it clear that it was up to you to advocate for yourself? Well, I would say that there have been quite a few defining moments. And, you know, growing up, culture plays such a role in how we define ourselves. And coming from the culture that I came from, women are supposed to be quiet and we're supposed to get married when we're young and have children. And that is our general purpose in life, is to grow a family. And I never did that. I didn't. I didn't necessarily feel the need for it. But I've always also been really conscious of my culture. I always second-guess myself. I shouldn't have said that. I should have been quieter. I should have sat in the back, not in the front row. You know, I, I was always doing that to myself. And then I realized that, you know, I can't complain about not getting ahead. I can't complain about the things that I don't have because I never even asked for it. And so because I was getting, um, I was really self-conscious, I also knew that I knew the answers. So when people were in a meeting, I knew why we were having the problem that we were having. I knew the recommendation. I knew why things weren't happening. And I literally fought with myself inside my head. Should I say something? Should I not say something? I'm too junior. I'm uh, the woman. I'm the only woman in the room. I'm the only person of color in the room. Do I say something? Do I want to draw that attention to myself? And then I realized that, you know, no one knows, no one knows the value that I can provide until I actually start speaking. So I mustered up all the energy and all the the confidence in myself, even when I didn't have the confidence and I started speaking and, you know, I come across as more unassuming. Like people are surprised. Like when I tell you how old I am, you're not going to believe how old I am. Uh, when I tell you the things that I've accomplished, you're not going to believe that because my persona doesn't necessarily match what their, uh, idea of someone in that role or in that position would have. And so that's what means, that's what I meant about having to stand up. I'm five feet tall. So when your boss is six, eight, he doesn't even see me. You know, when he's trying to make eye contact, he's literally bending halfway down. Uh, when it comes to speaking louder, I had a lot of things to say, but no one really heard me because no one was really thinking that I would have an idea or an answer. And so because of that, I've had to stand out to be able to get that attention. And when I started speaking, I actually started resonating with people, whether they were in the room or my clients. And my clients actually ended up becoming my biggest advocates. They were thinking, wow, I want us to stay in my account. Imagine when you leave an account and move over to somewhere else, the, your clients are crying when, they leave, when you're leaving. And it made it very difficult for me to advance in my career when I had to grow my career because I grew so attached to my clients. I knew that I was really helping them. But that's also when I started to realize that my voice did have something to convey and that it could carry. And so that's when I left sales and I went to L&D. And I just realized that that's, 
that's where I needed to be because I did have that voice and I could touch so many more people. And that's also the voice that I heard in my head when I left IRI. I left IRI, my previous company, um, at the height of my career. I, but I was, I was bored and I knew that I had a lot to say and they weren't, they weren't able to listen because they weren't ready to hear some of my ideas. So that's when I mustered up the courage to basically say I have to leave. And it broke my heart, but I did it. And so those were two defining moments for me when I was in sales and I knew I had the answers and I could help. And then when I was in L&D at my previous company and I knew that I had much more to do and much more to say. So that's how I kind of you know, found my way to Addison Group. That's amazing. And, and I think so, so relatable as, as a woman, as, you know, um, you know, maybe a younger person in the workplace. I I've definitely felt that way myself of kind of questioning, like putting that filter on yourself and questioning, Oh, is it really my place to say this right now? But I think, yeah, just exactly what you said, you know, you, you know, that you have the answers and, and really taking that ownership and, and leaning into that is just so inspiring. So this is actually a great segue um, because I was, really looking to ask you about your career, because obviously you had this ex- extremely successful career in sales and transition to the incredible work that you're doing now. So I was just wondering how you managed to make that decision, fight through any fears or anything that was holding you back from really committing to that idea and redefining your career. Well, I will say that it was probably one of the most difficult decisions that I ever had to make. You know, I spent 25 years at one company in one industry and I was really, really comfortable and I was really, really knowledgeable. And I, I was that person that everyone came to, to say, I need this. And they knew that I would be able to give them the answer. And, you know, when you become really comfortable, you can become complacent and you stagnate And for me, I just realized that I needed growth. I needed a challenge and stagnating is a trigger for me. And so I felt myself stagnating. I felt myself staying the same, but being able to help a variety of other people. And then I started watching people excel in their careers, which is what I want. I want people to to be smarter than me. I want them to excel and get higher than me. I want people who want, who can feel comfortable to me and say, I want your job one day. And then, you know what, I'm going to turn around and I'm going to help you get my job. And, but I just, then I turned to myself and I said, well, who do I get to turn to? What job do I want? I have the job that I want. And, but I'm not learning anything and I'm starting to feel like I'm withering and wilting inside. And so the year that I left, um, the year that I resigned was 2018. That was the year that I turned 50. That was the year that I was celebrating 25 years at one company. And I, I realized that, you know, and this sounds morbid, but how much longer am I going to live? Another 25 years? The first 25 went by in a snap. The next 25 is going to go, back, go by in a blank as well. Is this what I want for the next 25 years? Am I where I want to be? And when I started asking myself those questions, I realized that, no, this isn't what I want. And I want something different. And I want something bigger. And I want something smaller. And I want something in a completely different way. I wanted to be scared. I haven't been scared in a really long time. And so that was when in my head, I realized that I made the right choice 
when I left, I was scared. I was nervous. I was freaking out. I worked every day since I was 15 years old. I didn't have a paycheck coming in. And I had to to figure out like what that was. And so I had those long conversations with myself and I realized that I had so much more to give. And I spent a year of my life and of my career working with other clients, seeing that there are other companies that don't have an L&D, they don't have a growth strategy. There were so many things that I could do. And I tested it out. I have a coach and my coach said, Aspa, you just got out of a 25-year marriage. Go date. And that's what I did. I dated. I dated uh, companies in sports uh, sports talent agency. I, da- I dated an IT consulting company. I dated an executive search firm. And I got to hear different stories. And I, and I learned. Not only did I learn something new, but I was able to take something that I knew and help them grow as well. So I changed my, my perspective. And, uh, and that's, that's really what I did. I, uh, I just jumped off the cliff. I jumped off into the deep end without knowing how to swim. And I realized one thing, and that was that I could do it. And that's what I wanted to be able to do. Amazing. I mean, the courage that that takes is just incredible. And as I've said, and I'll say numerous times, you're, you're so inspiring. And, and I just think I am surprised at, at your age. I think you're the definition of a millennial. Um, and in the sense that we kind of, I was, <laughs> we really grapple with these, these questions about, you know, long-term our impact and, and if we're making a difference. So I think it's, it's incredible to hear someone um, really speak to that and, and really take action on that. So uh, it's just incredible to hear, uh, hear firsthand from you. Um, so a little bit of a transition. So um, speaking to the terminology, piece that you mentioned before about equity versus equality. Um, I think people can get caught up in what they think might be the meaning of certain labels or the, or the connotation of certain labels. Um, and I think, you know, that was a great example versus kind of what they really mean. So they, they get lost in what they think they mean. Um, so I was wondering if you could speak to a little bit about DE and I and what it means to you. In the simplest terms possible, DEI just means belonging. And that's all it really means. I'm not asking for anything more, and I'm not asking for anything less. And and I feel that a lot of minorities, and that means whether it's gender, whether it's ethnicity, race, language, um, disabilities, LGBTQ, all of that is when we feel like we are, we don't even, we're not even equal because we have to fight harder to get to what everyone else automatically gets. And that I feel is so unfair. And I, I, I feel that a lot of the marginalized voices are just noise in the background, not necessarily words that are articulated. And so I want to be able to bring voice to those that feel like they don't even belong. And I've been in meetings where I can, and maybe I'm being oversensitive, but I've been in meetings where I walk in and and I think to myself, they're probably asking themselves, why is she here? And I feel that I have to prove why I'm sitting at the table, why I'm not at my desk 
or why I'm sitting in a foldable chair over in the corner where I don't even get to sit at the table. And I've made it a point anytime I walk into a meeting, I sit at the freaking table. I am not going to be sitting on the sidelines. The only time that I'm going to sit on the sidelines is when there isn't enough space at the table. But even then, I might pull my chair up and squeeze in because I have something of value and I have to be able to say it. And I want everyone else to be able to do that. I've been in so many meetings where uh, the table is empty, women walk in, and they sit on those overflow chairs. Why? Why are you sitting in the overflow chair? Do you not think you belong at the table? Do you not feel like you belong at the table? I want everyone to walk into a meeting, no matter where or when, that they get to sit at the table. And that's that, that's just, I guess that's the way to illustrate it for me is that I want you to feel, I don't care who you are. I don't care what gender you are. I don't color. I don't care what color your skin is. If there's a meeting, you're sitting at the table. And by the way, I don't want you to just feel like you can sit at the table. I want you to be able to speak. I want you to ask questions. If there's something that you don't understand, I want you to feel comfortable raising your hand and saying, can you explain X? I've, I've been in so many meetings myself where I didn't feel comfortable asking the question because I didn't want to derail the conversation. I didn't want to feel like an unwelcome guest. But then I had to realize, wait a second, I'm not a guest. I, I'm, I was invited too. And so that means that I get to share what I need to share. And so I, it's more around belonging and making, making sure everyone feels comfortable being there wherever there is, whether it's a meeting, a class, uh, a town hall, you know, sitting in the front row. Why shouldn't you sit in the front row? I mean, obviously, if you don't feel comfortable in the front row, go sit in the back. But there shouldn't be anything that says that you have to sit in the back. If you want to sit in the front row, you sit in the front row. And that's something that I used to teach all of our new hires. You know, especially I do a lot of mentoring of younger women. And that's the one thing that I tell them is that go and be seen. If you sit in the back, you're going to be treated like you're in the back. If you sit in the front, they're going to make eye contact with you. They're going to know who you are. You're going to feel comfortable sitting in that room. So do what you can, do what you feel comfortable with, but know that you have the space. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I could come up with a better word than belonging to really sum up all of the the efforts that I've heard firsthand from you and and yeah, so I just think that's that's an incredible uh, way to sum it up. And I think it's so important, yes, to have a seat at the table, but also have that voice and be able to um, participate without feeling like you're taking away or that, you know, you might not deserve uh, whatever it may be. So uh, I think that's that so helpful to everyone to just hear that and um, really hear that from you as well. So I know that education is crucial, like educating everyone is crucial to developing and maintaining a truly diverse, you know, uh, workplace that is focused on belonging. Um, But I know that people often shy away from speaking directly to these topics because it can make them uncomfortable um, for whatever the reason may be. As a white female, like I know that I am uncomfortable at certain elements talking to or speaking to race um, because I'm coming from a place of privilege. So what advice would you give people who want to do more or work to create more of that sense of belonging, but feel uncomfortable or unprepared to speak to diversity or talk about it? 
You know, um, it, it, it's interesting because people always single out, well, I'm white, so therefore I don't understand. I, I would go back and I would say, yes, you're white. You won't understand my perspective, but I'm brown and I don't understand your perspective. And so with that, I believe that the two most important things that we can do when it comes to raising awareness and really having a successful DEI initiative is education and listening. Those are the two key things. Educate yourself. And when you're placed in a position, find people that have a different point of view. Find people that have uh, a different uh, perspective and talk to them. Just ask them questions. And so, uh, you know, educating yourself is really important. I, I do that to m- for myself all the time. I'm not, I'm not white, I'm, but yet I've grown up in America. So I know our American holidays, but I don't know our Jewish holidays. I don't know our, I don't know Kwanzaa. I didn't know about Juneteenth. And shame on me. I should have known these things. And so I own up to the fact that there are a lot of things that I didn't know growing up here. I would say the same goes to other people. So I'm Muslim. And so because of that, I have two religious holidays that I've never, ever gotten a day off for. I've had to ask for it as a vacation day. I've never gotten it as a floater. And so, you know, these are things that as we become more aware of it, that's when we start to hear it. And then the listening part. Listen to understand. When I tell you that I was at Macy's and I stood in line and someone was, you know, everyone in front of me was getting their items wrapped up in a nice bit of tissue and put into a nice bag. And then when it came time for me to get my product, they just threw it in a bag. That, that's something. And so you can easily say, oh, it was not a big deal. They probably ran out of tissue paper. Well, then what you just did was you belittled my feelings because I, I felt something that bothered me. I didn't like the fact that I didn't get a package the way that someone else did. And so when we listen to hear and just empathize, so it isn't about having a response. It's just to say, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That's, that's enough. I don't need anything more. I don't need you to solve the problem. I don't need you to do anything more other than to listen. And I think that that's what, those are the two things that if we can listen without prejudice and we can educate ourselves so that we can have a better understanding of what someone else's struggle is, then we will be able to make headway. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I think empathy is is the key to, to moving forward and to understanding various perspectives. And and I appreciate you so much for calling out um, the common narrative of, oh, I'm I'm white. I might not know how how to best speak to this because, to your point, and and something I hadn't even considered is that we all are coming from such different perspectives. So there is no, you know, correct perspective. It's just the experiences that we all have. And I think. You're you're 100 right. It does a disservice to say, "Oh, well, I'm white. I don't know how I can contribute," and and instead to focus on listening and empathy and and educating yourself. So, yeah, I just incredible and just inspiring per usual. Um, so, with the last few months of widespread National Black Lives Matter activism, 
I think more and more of us, especially um, within Mondo Nation, where I know our age skews a little bit younger, um, we're beginning to recognize the emotional toll that it can take to fight for equality and, and maintain that energy. So I was wondering if you had any rituals, routines, or habits that help you stay positive, focused, and engaged. Um, I have some crazy rituals, and they're, they help me stay sane. So that's throughout my life is one is, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening out in the world and there was a point in time. And I would say over the last four years or so where I have been glued to the TV, I've never watched news TV as much as I have over the last four years. I've never gotten involved or or tried to be as knowledgeable around politics as I have over the last four years, because that's something that means something to me. Uh, and that means that, you know, I'm going to have to start limiting what I see and hear on the news. I, I realize that there's a lot of unrest going on and the more I become consumed with it, it brings me down and it stops me from being that strategic person that I am and thinking about how can I change that? It's one thing to say, oh my God, it's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. And it's another thing to say, it's bad. Here's how I'm going to make a difference. And so having that internal dialogue with myself is one major thing because you can, you can go down that rabbit hole and just watch bad news after bad news after bad news and then think, oh my God, the world is ending. The world is not ending. I will tell you what has given me a lot of joy. So I'm older and a lot of our millennials are out there on the streets And you have no idea the sense of pride that I feel when I see that. And also a sense of shame. I don't do that. I'm not out there risking my life. I'm not out there with a a, a sign. I'm not doing that. So what can I do to help them? What can I do to keep their energy alive? Well, I can create a workplace for them that at night when they're dealing with the protests, the next day when they go into an office, I don't want them to feel like they have to protest and that they have to, to stress themselves out. I want to be able to provide an environment for them where they can feel like they can be their authentic self. If you want to ask a question, if you want to say something, I want you to feel comfortable to be able to do that. I have the power to do that. So, if, so I have to identify what are those things that I can change that not will that that won't just help me, but will help others. And so, so that's something that I've been thinking a lot of. And then the other thing is going back to what we were talking about before: educating myself. I have to constantly. We're in Yom Kippur today. I didn't know the meaning of it, and I'm a Muslim. And you know, our closest when you think about religions of the world, the two religions that are closest that also don't get along very well are the Muslims and the Jewish faith. So Judaism and Islam, they're so close. And yet I didn't know what Yom Kippur meant. So I went and I Googled it and I found out what that meant. And so now I'm getting ready to post something on my Instagram page so that people can say that, wow, okay. So I, I can't say that I'm leading DEI and then be in the whole world of, well, I'm a brown girl. And and that's, that's the perspective that I'm coming from. No, there's brown women, there's brown men, there's black women, there's black men. There's men, there's women, there's LGBTQ, there's um, disabled. So there's all these different groups that we have to become 
we have to become knowledgeable of all of it. It's not just from my perspective. And so I can't rest on my laurels to say I'm brown and that's why I'm qualified. No, I have to be on top of it. And if I know anything about my millennials, my millennials are smarter. They are more aware. And if I'm going to resonate with them, if I'm going to reach them where they need to be reached, not where they, where I'm at, I have to go down to where they are. What do they want? They want to know that whoever is leading them is educated in the things that I care about, is knowledgeable in the things that I care about. And if I don't, I'm going to fail them. So I'm always worried about failing. I'm worried about failing in, you know, what you need. And so that's, that's what keeps me going. And I have a, a, you know, if you want a specific ritual every night, I get into bed and I have my iPad in front of me and I'm on LinkedIn. I'm reading magazines on success magazine, how to be a better leader. I'm uh, reading up on how to lead through adversity I'm looking at what do our younger generations actually care about. I try to figure out what is the definition of a millennial? What is the definition of a Gen Xer? I'm a Gen Xer. I'm one of those Gen Xers that still thinks she's a millennial because I try to identify with them. Um, I don't think I want to grow old because I like that that mentality. And and I admire that mentality. So how can I reach them? How can I resonate with them? So I do set aside about an hour and a half to two hours every night, educating myself in different topics. But um, I care a lot about what's happening in the world around me. And it scares me. Yeah, I mean, there's so much insight in in that statement to unpack. But I think... um, specifically what you're speaking to is, is the content that we ingest and, and making a very choice to determine what content you're ingesting and how that impacts your ability to move forward and keep that momentum going. Uh, I love that you have, you know, core, core outlets that you go to each night. Um, I know for myself as well, like I, I need to limit my, my time spent on news because we all know how the news cycle works today and it's always kind of bad news first at the top. So um, I think, yeah, that's, that's incredibly helpful uh, advice for anyone who's looking to just stay focused, stay motivated. Um, I think apathy is always the thing that we're fighting against, especially as we lean into empathy. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your rituals with us. Uh, I think that can be extremely helpful for anyone who's listening. I have another tip that I, I think I think it might be helpful between now and November third, which is yes, limit the 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 type of um, you know news that you have access to, but that but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be knowledgeable. So here's my tip: I watch the news, and when I start to hear a story that I've heard within the last two hours, I turn off the TV. On other days, especially on weekdays, the TV only comes on when I'm having my lunch, when I'm having my dinner. Because uh, I live alone, so I, I need that kind of noise in the background. That's when I spend time really hearing about that. And then I can use Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or going to a news website to be able to pick out what I need to learn more about. Um, If I saw an article, I want to go and hear more about it or read more about it. And if you hear and read the same type uh, or the same uh, content from different places, you'll get different perspectives and you'll get a a more of a 360 view. So limit 
what you want. And, you know, a, a very tactical thing is eat only or watch TV only when you're eating. That's what I do. No, no more TV in the bedroom uh, when I'm going to sleep because then I have nightmares. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely understand that. And I think you make a, an incredible point of, I think it's that difficult balance of understanding that you need to be informed and you need to be knowledgeable in order to be an ally, but at the same time, protecting your mental health and your ability to move forward and really take the actions that you need. And I think what you mentioned is is an ongoing issue that we have with people receiving their content in only one specific source or one specific platform. So I love that you're, um, looking at, at sources from, uh, or looking at news from different sources and then really trying to best understand all perspectives and how they're kind of applied to that specific story. So I think that's incredibly helpful and can be super beneficial for anyone listening as well. Um, so moving into your continued efforts at Addison and within all of the, all of its brands like Mondo, how are you feeling about your new role? Um, and, and the efforts that I know you're, you're already hard at work on and implementing in the back end. Um, I know you're, you said you're nine weeks in, so I would just love a little, um, temperature gauge and see how you're doing. <laughs> um, don't get scared, but. I'm scared. I'm nervous. I'm freaked out. Uh, It's a big role. It's a big job. And there's so many things that I'm uncomfortable with. Like, for example, it's a new company. It's a new industry. So before I can start telling you or, you know, rolling out anything, I still have so much learning to do. But at the same time, I may be nervous and scared. I am so excited. Uh, I'm super excited about being able to create something that wasn't here before. I'm super excited about 10 years from now having a legacy to be able to turn around and say, I did that. To be able to turn around and say, I'm so proud of what Addison did with, you know, whether it was DEI or leadership development or their growth to a billion dollars and not only did they make a billion dollars, they made it to $20 billion. I'm, I'm just so excited about being a part of that journey that, um, you know, I've spent the last eight weeks educating myself and educating myself in, you know, what is the industry? What are some of the trends? And then, of course, meeting with people. And in the first round, I would say in the first five, six weeks that I was here, I met with 55 people and I had 55 one-on-ones, one hour apiece, and really understanding what's working, what's not working, and then giving me advice. Tell me how I can be successful in this role. How can I be successful as a partner to you? And really getting that information from them. So uh, I would say in one word, super excited, and I cannot wait for what the future holds for us. I'm so happy to hear that. And, and it's one of the things that I appreciate most in, in the interactions I've had with you is just your authenticity and in your willingness to always tell it like it is. Um, and I think that is so refreshing, especially during a time where a lot of us can feel imposter syndrome or, or struggle with some of those feelings to have a leader who is just so actively themselves and, and open about their own struggles and, and anxieties that we all face. 
Um, so I know we're wrapping up a little bit here. So I was wondering if you could provide Mondo Nation um, with a tangible step that they can implement today to make our workplace and our remote culture more inclusive. Hmm. Just one. As many as you as many as you want, honestly. Well, I, I would go back to um, the advice that I had for uh, talking about things that make you uncomfortable and what that is educate yourself. Um, educate yourself and take a look around you. Uh, if you're going to do one thing, that one thing would be find someone who is the exact opposite of you and talk to them. Have a coffee and Zoom with them. Have some questions around, you know, what, what is their perspective? You know, when you have two different people coming from two completely different um, perspectives and you look at the same thing, it looks different. You know, I saw an image of the, the number six on the ground. One person is standing at the bottom saying, it's a six. And the other person is looking at it from the top saying, no, it's a nine. And the, and the argument was six and nine, six and nine, when really it's all about perspective, isn't it? And so find someone who has a complete different perspective from you and go and have a 30-minute conversation with them. Just hear their story. How did they get to, to Mondo? How did they um, find a staffing? How did they even get into the recruiting world? You never know where that's going to lead you. You know, people assume certain things that if you're in recruiting and you've been in recruiting for five years, that means that you've always been in recruiting. Not necessarily. I was in sales. And by the way, I even hated sales. I never wanted to get into sales. But it was, you know, my, my degree is in marketing and market research. So how did a market researcher get into sales? Well, you never know where that happens. I was selling when I wasn't even supposed to be selling. So I would say, go find someone and find out what their story is and just start with that. And then if you're looking for other things, there's always going to be books that you can read. There's going to be podcasts that you can listen to. There's other people, mentors, go find a mentor. I have a mentor that is a generation above me. So I'm part of a program called Ageless Mentors. So I, he's helping me understand it. And he's a white man. So I, he's the complete opposite of who I am. I get a really great perspective from him. And then I'm also part of another mentoring uh, group where I am, my mentor is another white woman who is a CEO. So I want to, not that I want to get to a CEO level, but I want to hear what she thinks about because I have to relate to CEOs. I'm also part of another mentoring program for the opposite direction. Uh, the 11-year-olds, the 15-year-olds, I'm mentoring them and I'm helping them think about what does it mean to be a leader at that age so that they can start taking classes and start thinking differently so that they can be who we need them to be 10 years from now or 15 years from now. It all starts at that age. So again, it's all around education and never stop learning. Yeah, I mean, I think that is an incredible idea and something we can all, you know, act on like tomorrow, next week, as soon as possible. I was even thinking while you were speaking of, you know, a few of my opposites within the office and, you know, I might normally shy away from those types of conversations and, and lean into the, the easy small talk conversations where I know I have a lot of shared interests. And I think, yeah, there's so much to learn from each other and, and from just hearing a different story. I think, 
this podcast, a few of these episodes about Armando Nation members have just shattered any type of idea I had about that person just by being able to hear their story. And it was so different than the assumptions I had made, you know what I mean, that I thought were hundred percent on, on, on spot, on target. And they, and they were not. So I think that's incredible and, and agreed with continuing the work to educate yourself and listening and moving in, in the direction of empathy. So, well, thank you so much for taking the time today to share your story with us and, and have this honest, genuine conversation about diversity and belonging in the workplace. Um, I think it's incredibly expiring. I, I, I speak for all of Mondo Nation that, uh, having our DEI efforts being led by by a woman who is so so open and so so honest, as I said, and just really lives and breathes this every day, um, and just passionate and committed to real change. So, thank you for your honesty, uh, your grace with me personally throughout this conversation, and the guidance that you're providing Addison and Mondo as we shift to become true allies in in these efforts. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to see what we do together. And if you're ever looking for that open and honest conversation, unfortunately, my facial expressions or uh, I, it's just, it's not a part of me to not share. So I may or may not get myself in trouble, but that's all a part of the journey, isn't it? I love it. It definitely is. Well, thank you, Aspa, so much. Thank you.